I've actually heard of sign-on bonuses being somebody's salary. The sign-on bonus was enough to be somebody else's salary. But that's what happens when you're in tech. Whenever at the end of the interview, the interviewer says, do you have any questions? That is your moment to now interview the interviewers. And then you determine based on their answers if this is a good fit for you. Because if you're in a meeting and you have an opinion, will the person that you're meeting with feel some type of way? Mm. So it's important that you test a lot of that up front so that you can understand you're coming in as a colleague, not as a subordinate. No matter industry, whether it's tech or not, you need to have a plan B. So I do think that us as a community, we need to make sure we're always researching and we're always upscaling. The goal at this point is for you to be marketable and for people to fight over you. Yes. Look, y'all, I'm incredibly excited about this conversation because not only is this our one year anniversary this this month at least we're at one year with Texas New Black but also we just recently this week got our 100,000 subscriber plaque from YouTube that's thank you to all of you so we're incredibly excited about all of this but also it only makes sense to do this anniversary with the 100,000 subscriber plaque with our very first guest one year later Shanae Urker so Shanae Thank you again for being on Texas of New Black. Of course. Thank you for welcoming me back. I'm excited. Yeah. Like I was a year ago. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool. You know, you know what I'm curious about? So it's been a year. Mm-hmm. When you came on before, that was our first time meeting. Yes. And what were, I'm curious, what were your thoughts? So when you first came on, and really this is something for future guests, because now we're kind of at a point where now, okay. We have, we have a lot of people that are aspiring guests that are fans mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. And we have other people that are like, mm, I think I might go on there at some mm-hmm. point. And they're, they're not really sure. I actually want to hear from you. What was like your first like feelings like, thoughts like when you first came on? And just yeah. your whole experience. So when I first came on the podcast, first I walked in this room and I was like, oh, snap, this is official. <laughs> like that's the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Um, but I honestly, I love the the camaraderie of it all. I love the family aspect of it all. You all can't see Eric and Rhea behind the, the camera, but or even Aja, she's in the other room. But when we when I came in here, the welcoming atmosphere was so cool and it felt like I had already known y'all and I had met y'all. Yeah. So it was really dope to feel like I was walking into family. Mm-hmm. And I felt like and then on top of that, like think about it, there are not many times where we walk into rooms where all of us look like each other. True. And so mm-hmm. the fact that you all look like me mm-hmm. and it was more or less you all were curious to get to know my journey from a recruiting aspect and just from a personal aspect, it was really dope to be able to sit down talking outside of, before we started recording, we talked, we were talking about poetry. Yeah. A lot of times, most people would know me know from the poetry side of me, mm-hmm. but now they know the recruiter side of me. Yeah. And so it was cool to talk about something other than poetry because poetry was something that I always talked about. So it yeah. was cool to be able to expand that part of my brand, but then to also give people tips and tricks from a place that I needed when I was, when I was a candidate. Yeah. I I turned into the recruiter I needed when I was a candidate. That's fire. Mm-hmm. That's so fire. Thank you for that. Of course. Thank you so much. So, man, it's been a lot that's happening last year. So, yeah. of course, we celebrated 100K, all, all this good stuff. But, yo, a lot has happened in your career as a well. A lot has Both happened in, your, in my career. Per, like, in your professional career at the company that yeah. you're with, as well as everything with Recruiter Cousin. Yeah. So, you leave off tech as New Black. Mm-hmm. What has happened since... Literally since like from the episode drop 
and then all the other things you did. Like, tell us just a, a, yeah. a recap of your year. So I had I had a pretty good network before you reached oh, out you to definitely me. Did. I had oh, like you was a, a big dog. I had. Mm. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. humble. I'm humble. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll receive it. I was yeah. a big dog. I was a big deal. Um, so I actually had a I had a good size platform yeah. on LinkedIn uh, before, but since then, like even a year later, people say, "Well, I watched your episode on Texas the New Black, and oh my gosh, like you were giving really good gems." And then you Thanks. also had people who just feel like they know everything and wanted to correct me <laughs> on stuff but oh. <laughs> yeah you have the people who was like well how could you say that oh my gosh how could you say that oh. i had that too but yeah. it was really it was more so on the positive side and yeah. it was thank you for taking the time to give a recruiter's perspective on what it's like to actually get a recruiter to get to want to reach out to you and to work with you and spend time with you yeah. because a lot of recruiters like I like I said a year ago it's not that we don't want to our inboxes are so full that it's really difficult to get to every single person and so I was already doing my recruiter cousin pop-up question sessions, but I started doing it a little more because I started to realize that if I can't get to my inbox, I would just randomly put a Zoom link up that said, hey, y'all, I'm going to be on Zoom for the next two hours. If you want to pop in and ask me any questions because I can't get to your message, just ask me the question live and I'll answer it. So I started doing those a little bit more. Uh, Even outside of my job, every Friday between the hours of 12 and 2, I make sure I spend 15 minutes with whoever signed up on my calendar for complimented coffee chats. And I do that because they may want to come into my company or they may just need recruiting advice. And so I do that while I'm working because I I, because I'm although I'm still working, I may find an ideal candidate from those complimentary coffee chats that I Mm -hmm. give. So I do that as part of my job as well. Mm -hmm. But then I also started to like write job seeker resources. I started my my calendar a little bit more and started focusing on how can I post things that is going to contribute to a person's success mm-hmm. without them feeling like they always have to pay to book somebody. Yeah. That's and true. so I started to go on LinkedIn to be a little bit more intentional about answering the quest questions on posts with my posts. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is I would look to see if you posted something or if Rhea posted something or if Eric posted something about you were in final interviews and I don't understand why I didn't get picked. I yeah. would use my post to answer that question. That's fine. Or I would use my post to say the job market is saturated. How can we as recruiters help you all navigate this process mm-hmm. without feeling like you're giving up or you feel frustrated and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I started to do that a little bit more and I actually started to get testimonials of people who just followed my posts. So mm-hmm. actually, so I even recently I stopped on Monday at about 112 people in under a year who increased their salaries between $3,000 and $120,000. Wow. And the lowest person was uh, someone who was an intern. Mm -hmm. So he got an offer and he just negotiated his offer up as an intern. Um, So wait, so he was still an intern? He's still in college. He's still in college. He was going to his internship. They offered him a salary for his internship and he negotiated up $3,000. Negotiated during it. I didn't know that was a thing you could do. mm -hmm. So he negotiated up and we actually, I actually ended up meeting him at the Nesby conference and I started going to a little bit more conferences to connect with people in person so I could get away from my computer, away from my desk and actually be able to touch people. And so from there, I actually also coached somebody to make 
$120,000 more than what she was making. So I was, so from there, even, so going back to what I said three, four days ago, even earlier this week when I told myself, Shanae, disconnect off of LinkedIn, give yourself some time, breathe a little bit, relax a little bit, and then come back and you'll be charged. Within those three days, I got three more testimonials of someone who increased his salary by $25,000 and the other person increased increase her salary she has the possibility because she's about to go into interviews she has the possibility of increasing her salary by fifty five thousand dollars and she's actually one of my law school classmates goodness you know that's so wild like people for those of y'all this is your first time tuning in and specifically tuning in and hearing all the things shanae is talking about like she's been doing this (laughs) this has been happening for a minute and it's it's so interesting how there are people that are getting into like we help a lot of people get in the tech industry. They're making good money. Okay, cool. But some people just stop there and don't realize like, man, you could up your salary so much more. Absolutely. With a lot of a lot of the tips and gems and things that she drops. And so this is incredible. I think the highest offer or the highest uh, sign on bonus that we've heard on uh, we've heard of was uh, Tay on Tech. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he got a sign-on bonus of $70,000, like just a sign-on bonus. Mm-hmm. And I was like... It's possible. That's <laughs> insane. More than that is possible, actually. Uh, <laughs> what, what's, yeah. I'm curious, what's the biggest sign-on bonus you've ever heard of? Um, Well over six figures. For a sign-on bonus. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, oh, I just want a job where I'm making close to six figures to for, have for, a sign-on like, bonus. Actually, I've actually heard of sign-on bonuses Sign-on bonus being somebody's salary. Goodness. So, yeah. Well, wait. So, so they had a salary. and then They it, had a salary. And, and then, then the they had sign-on a sign-on bonus. bonus match their salary? That, no, no, no. The sign-on bonus was enough to be somebody else's salary. Oh. So, like, they had a good offer. And then the sign-on bonus itself could have been my salary if I wanted it to what? be. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's what happens when you're in tech. And it's honestly... Yeah. It's not just tech, though. All of my testimonials have been around across industries. So I've had healthcare, I've had tech, I've had retail, I've had um, hospitality, I've had uh, real estate. I've had all kind of positions or industries where people will say, well, I got a promotion because I I did exactly what you told me to do. Or just recently, like my friend from law school, all I did was tell her to do this on her LinkedIn and she just got a recruiter to reach out to her. And so I said, okay, now that's half the battle. Now that you have a recruiter who's reached out to you, start building that relationship with the recruiter because you're working with a staffing recruiter. Yeah. That staffing recruiter is going to want you to accept the offer so they get the commission based on your, your salary. Man. So I, I try to teach people how to not just increase their salaries, but to also focus on connecting and be strategic about the connection with the difference between agency or headhunter recruiters mm-hmm. and, in, and in-house recruiters. Yeah. So the agency recruiter, you 100% want the relationships with because mm-hmm. even after you accept the offers, they're still building that connection and still building that relationship yeah. because if they give you something better and your salary is better, so is their commission. Man. So like my mm-hmm. husband, my husband still works with his agency recruiters, still goes to lunch with them, still talks to them mm-hmm. to make sure that he's still build, building that relationship just in case the next opportunity comes along. You know, that makes a lot of sense. We... I recently uh, had I had lunch with this guy in Miami. It's a guy named uh, Chris. I can't I can't remember his last name, but I have him saved on my phone. It's Chris Staffing, 
And he's a maybe he's an agency recruiter or I know that he, he does contract work with different tech companies. Mm-hmm. And he last year he made half a million dollars and all he did he doesn't work for a company. He does contract work where the company will say, Hey, we need to hire ten people in these roles. We need mm-hmm. to hire and then he'll do a contract with another company. The company will say, Okay, we'll give you fifty thousand dollars if you can fulfill these roles mm-hmm. for us. And okay, and another company will say, Hey, we'll give you eighty thousand if you can find talent for us. And mm-hmm. he'll do like he'll vet the he'll find the people, vet them. He'll do like one or two rounds of interviews himself, and then he'll pass into the company. Of course, the company will do like one or two interviews mm-hmm. with the person, and then when they hire the person on, like it kind of secures the money that he mm-hmm. got. And I was like, "Yo, he sounds like a freelance recruiter." Yeah, yeah, that's what he does. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I said, "Yo, it's so like we talk about how tech sales, tech mm-hmm. sales itself is a variety of jobs you can do in tech sales, mm-hmm. and it's a variety of tech companies you can work at." Yep. Cybersecurity, variety of jobs in cybersecurity, data, variety of jobs, product. But I'm like, I'm just re- recently realizing, yo, in recruiting, I already knew that recruiting, depending on the type of company you were recruiting for, it would be different. Mm-hmm. Knowing that usually a recruiter that's at a tech company, nine times out of 10, they're going to make more than most other industries. But I'm like realizing now, yo, recruiting itself there are a lot of different ways to get to the back even as a recruiter yeah and i think what's hard what's hard about recruiting though is in our industry if we're employed by a certain company we're the first to go yeah a lot of the time yeah um and that could be very well because if the company has some type of freeze or pause you technically don't need the recruiters yeah, it's like okay you, we're not hiring what do we need right. recruiters for so recruiters we have to build our brands so that we're okay yeah and we have to make sure we're build, building the relationships mm-hmm. to so to, to understand how okay we need to be. And I also think it's important for recruiters to actually have a diversity in the industries that they've recruited for. So mm. I've, I started in higher education. Yeah. And then I pivoted into healthcare and then I pivoted into tech. Mm-hmm. So I have a wide variety of the kinds of positions that I've recruited for along with the leveling of the positions that I've recruited for too. Mm. So I've even, even in healthcare, the only reason why I'm able to give interview tips is because I literally schedule all of my interviews in healthcare and I sat in on all of my interviews Mm -hmm. and I took mental notes on what candidates did and I watched the reactions of the interviewers. Mm -hmm. So I, all I did was take that information and and, in a generic way, just said, this is what you do in an interview. This is what you don't do. Whenever you ask, whenever at the end of the interview, the interviewer says, do you have any questions? That is your moment to now interview the interviewers. So it's now your time for you to not only drill them but mm-hmm. have a conversation with them and then you determine based on their answers if this is a good fit for you yeah. and so I started to write out specific questions that you can ask an interviewer that'll make an interviewer think and you can also test to determine based on the, the question that you ask will mm-hmm. the interviewer feel some type of way if they do then you have to determine if this is something you want to actually go into because if you're in a meeting and you have an opinion will the person that you're meeting with feel some type of way so it's important that you test a lot of that up front so that you can understand you're coming in as a colleague, not as a subordinate. Yeah. Yo, so for everybody that's interested in what this guest is talking about and you will love a similar career, I suggest you check out Course Careers Bootcamp. Course Careers is a bootcamp that I have been partnered with for well over a year now, and they have helped more people break into tech, I'll be honest, than any other bootcamp that I've personally seen. So look, Course Careers is only 500 bucks, that's it. 
but if you use our discount code Cyrus50, you'll get an additional $50 off. So that way all you pay is actually $449. That's it. No additional price later, no extra cost, extra fees. That's it with the price for course careers. Now there are self-paced bootcamp that you can take and be able to get a variety of different roles in tech. So make sure you check them out. Use our link below in that discount code if you want an additional $50 off and keep us posted on your journey breaking into tech. I love that last bar you said, coming mm -hmm. in as a colleague, not as a subordinate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so important to mention. I, I want to kind of double back and uh, kind of like expand a little bit on something that you just mentioned where you were talking about the importance of building a brand. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that most people aren't truly paying attention to right now. Sure. And so I'm not sure what direction you want to go in with this. We can, uh, again, I want to be sensitive and be mindful of certain things. So address this however you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. But recently, I'll say it this way. You'll know what I'm talking about, but I'll say it this way. The audience won't know what I'm talking about. And as comfortable as you feel, then you can kind of like reel it in. There is a recruiter that we know who a lot of their, their team at their company was recently let go. Sure. And... That recruiter, they, as we know, they built out a brand. They were doing some of the things we talked about where they were building a brand on social media, helping a lot of people be able to get in the industry. Mm -hmm. And now this recruiter is on top of their job at work. They're killing it. They're crushing it. They're being a good resource. They're good, good for their company culture. All of those different variables. Nevertheless, one of the things that we had a conversation with this recruiter about is that they believe one of the things that truly helped them retain their position mm -hmm. outside of them being on top of their job and all those other pieces was their brand. Mm -hmm. And so one, what do you think about that? And two, what do you think that that should communicate to not even just recruiters, but just people in the in all industries in general? Yeah, I think there's a double edged sword when building your brand, when you're employed by a certain company. Yeah. Uh, if you have a good manager, your manager will encourage you to continue to build your brand. Yeah. But making sure, of course, you're following company policy and all of, course, of that. Yeah. Uh, when they, I know recruiters who have huge brands bigger than mine and were laid off. Wow. I know recruiters who don't have big brands and were not laid off. Okay. Uh, so I I think that it depends on the company and it depends on the size of the company because yeah. if the company isn't as big but you have a big brand mm -hmm. then and if you're marketing that company because you work for them that's free marketing for that company exactly so people are going to want to tap into the company because if they feel like you're comfortable enough to build your brand then they're going to believe the public is going to believe that the company supports you and yeah. building that big brand i.e bringing more money into the company exactly now you also have other companies where if the company is already big then it's not that they don't, I hate to say it this way, it's not that they don't need your help, but they ought, they have to focus on what is better for the business in terms of revenue. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a double-edged sword there, but I do think that recruiters who build their brands, regardless if they are, if they're employed by big companies or not, even if they aren't employed by big companies, if they were since laid off, they have to be careful with building that big brand because if the company sees the brand and the brand is either positive, negative, or indifferent, the company could judge them and judge whether they're going to get the offer based on their brand. That's very real. So, uh, and then on the flip side of that is if you weren't laid off and you do have a big brand, you still have company policy that you have to follow and certain avenues that you have to go through mm -hmm. in order for you to be safe and be making 
sure you can continue to build your brand while still being employed with the company at the same time. So I think it's subjective to mm -hmm. the company. And I do think that it depends on how you build your brand and what you say. Because I've also had recruiters as well that I'm connected with that although their brand may be positive to them, it doesn't come out as positive to the so public. The, mm, or wow. or if it's positive... To, to the public, if it's not positive to the public, they the, they can then tie that to the company that they work for. Yeah, that's true. So knowing that I'm employed by a company, I have to make sure that whatever I say, ain't, one, it's not crazy, but yeah. then two, I have to make sure whatever I say, it's in line with the company values that I work for. Yes. And if, if, and even if, if someone were to test me on the company values and I technically wouldn't believe in the company values that I, uh, in the company that I work for, what's the point of me working for the company? Mm -hmm. So I would, I would test, I would test not necessarily building your brand first, mm -hmm. but building your financial stability with the company that employs you first yes. and understand if you believe in their core values. If mm -hmm. you do build your brand on your own time, based on the company's core values because you can work for that core value the company that, that have great core values but you can also build your brand on your own time mm -hmm. if you don't believe in those core values but you want to just use that to build your brand what's the point of working for that company facts come mm -hmm. on so there's they, there's really no point so i would think that most people who want to build their brands and who want a great big network i think that's amazing but i also think that part of the reason you have to have a purpose behind making money. Mm -hmm. You have to have a purpose behind building your brand. You can't just say, I want a big brand and then that's it. So I would, so for me, like the company I work for, I believe in our core values Yeah. because I believe in our core values. I can continue to log on and work every day, build my brand after the five o'clock. But for me, it's, What's the point of working for my company if I don't believe in the core values? I'm wasting my time. That's real. Now, for me, I believe in our core values, so it is easy to work for our company. But there are people in the world who just want to have a big brand, but don't want to be under a company umbrella to learn why the brand is so prestigious in the first place. Yeah. So it doesn't mean you necessarily have to work for a company the your entire life. But it makes sense to understand and learn from the companies that you're employed with to understand how their platform or their brand or their name got so big. Mm -hmm. So then you can then take that and make it your own and build your own brand. Those are same, facts. It's the same yeah. thing with you. When you mm -hmm. build your brand, I learn from you. Mm -hmm. And so it's no it's no point of me being here if I don't believe in what you're doing. True. Very mm -hmm. true. Yo, you. Oh, she going in right now, y'all. She going in right now, y'all. Look, look, we got a lot more to talk about. I, I'm excited about this. So look. I said, look, between mass hiring that was happening between 2020 all the way up until like 2022, mass layoffs that started 2022, then the marketing leveling out this past summer. Now we're in September surge. Uh, we've both been uh, managed to help a lot of different people break into tech and scale. But in the midst of all of that, all the way up to where we're at now, where do you believe the state of the market is now? And what do you believe versus last year job seekers should start doing differently like tweaks they should make right now yeah good question so first i would say no matter industry whether it's tech or not you need to have a plan b oh like i do think because from a recruiter's perspective from what i've seen as a recruiter in higher education healthcare and now tech you do have to have a plan b because yeah. it, it wasn't that whole layoff season wasn't just tech 
No, it, it was yeah. it was all kinds of industries. Mm-hmm. And so even people that I'm still connecting with in healthcare, they were telling me about how they're about to lay off and, and the amount of people they're about to lay off, which which technically went under the rug because everybody was so focused on the tech layoffs that nobody was paying attention to the other other industry layoffs, the consultant firms and all of that. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I do think that it's important for us to have a plan B to, i.e. going back to building your brand and making Mm -hmm. yourself continuously, making yourself a little bit more marketable. Uh, I think, I think the difference in the market in the beginning, the beginning of the layoff season versus now is that and what what candidates should do to continue to have certain skill sets under their their belt that are niche so they can continue to stay ideal candidates is we always talk about upscaling all the time. Yes. We always talk about upscaling and making sure you're always continuously learning. I was just on a an episode of PBS North Carolina where we mm-hmm. talked about dealing with uh, making sure we're dealing with a lot of the research that needs to happen in, a, in AI. Mm-hmm. And so I'm also reading a book by my former professor, uh, April Dawson. Shout out to Professor Dawson. Shout out uh, to Professor Dawson. She is like an expert in AI and law. She wrote a book Ooh. on, um, she wrote a book on, it's called, um, oh man, it's called um, Artificial Intelligence and Academic Integrity. Ooh. And she's talking a lot about how it's important for law students who are about to become lawyers, and it can be used for any industry, but it's, it's important for law students who are about to pass the bar and become licensed attorneys to make sure that the integrity of what they're learning is filtered into their actual career. So not using generative AI to do your work for you. Mm. And so it's important that we continue to do our research and stay innovative because specifically for people who want to be in tech, you can't just say, I want to make more money and then do tech sales and then that's it. Because mm-hmm. tech is always changing. It is. So you always have to make sure you're up on your game when it comes to innovation and proactivity and your research so you can understand that if you want to be a top salesperson in tech, you have to understand what new generative AI are being produced or being developed and being deployed. And you have to understand the needs of the customer, their updates and all of that. In order mm-hmm. for you to do that, you have to focus on your research. Yeah. So I do think that us as a community, we need to make sure we're always researching mm-hmm. and we all we're always upscaling. So I'm a person who is I'm a I'm back and forth when it comes to having a bunch of certifications and no experience. But then you have but because you need certifications in some jobs, but you also need experience in others. So I think it's important that if you have, for example, if you're going after the certification route to break into tech, focus on the project work that you can do on the side to round out the certification so that you can put that on your resume. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to stuff like if you have a certification, but there are volunteer opportunities that you can do in the community or if you if you're trying to upscale and you're coming from a different industry, what software platforms have you used that you didn't pay attention to that you can put on your resume that's going to help you round out the certification part in order for you to be an ideal candidate. It's being able to have an art to explaining your skill set for you to pivot. And it's also getting with trusted resume writers because not everybody is trusted. Trusted resume writers 
who know the art of the explanation that you need to do and the difference between taking skill sets that you already have and marrying that to the job description that you're trying to speak to. Mm -hmm. So if you get with trusted people who are willing to help you and who have the time to help you, then I think it's important to invest in those opportunities. And I also think it's important to make sure you stay consistent. This job market is not the same that it was a year ago. And it's so many more people who are on the job market now that weren't on the job market before. It's literally hundreds of thousands of people that are on the job market at the same time. So in order for you to stay abreast of everything that's happening, you have to understand where to go. Mm -hmm. So I have different strategies on how to actually job seek so people can feel like, oh, I'm not just aimlessly looking at looking at jobs and in companies that are hiring to determine if I'm an ideal fit. It's the strategy behind it is you take a parent company of any industry, right? Let's take tech, for example. Mm -hmm. You take a parent company, you research the parent company to understand what jobs they have available that match your skill set. You apply to those jobs. You then go down. So this is not the start from the bottom that we hear. We starting from the top. (laughs) (laughs) We starting from the top and we working our way down. You take the subsidiary or the child company of those parent companies and you determine if those subsidiaries or child companies have jobs or positions that are available that also match your skill set. You then reach out to what I call cousin companies. Those companies are the partnerships or the companies that are part of the child companies that put you back up to the parent company. Mm -hmm. So you then reach out to those cousin companies to determine if those cousin companies also have jobs that match your skill set. You then start to trickle down to the tech startups and all of the, the nonprofit organizations that you didn't know were in existence that could be local to your area, that could mm-hmm. be just online based. What you start to realize is you start to find companies that you didn't know existed and you start to find companies that are innovative and that even may be privately owned. Mm-hmm. What happens there is it lessens and it narrows your competition pool so you're not competing with as many people mm-hmm. because if I don't know this company existed, then how many other people don't know this company existed? That's so now I'm narr- narrowing the competition. Yeah. In addition to that, you're also reaching out, going back to the parent companies, what partnerships do the parent companies themselves have with other companies and then you trickle down and do the same exact oh, she thing. she dropping some bombs. So all All you do is you take all of the major companies that are in tech. When you're done with tech, go to retail. When you're done with retail, go to manufacturing, go to oil and gas, go to utilities, go to healthcare. You go you go to all these different oh, industries and different companies. What you find is that you find the organizational component of it. So you're not like, what the heck am I doing? And you're not looking aimlessly trying to figure out or blindly trying to figure out where do I go. Yeah. The hope with that strategy is... What if I get a bunch of interviews that I needed right now all at the same time? Then from there, the hope is what if I get multiple offers that I needed right now all at the same time? I take all of these multiple offers and I take it to the one company that I want to work for. And I say, can you beat these multiple offers? If you can't, I still have multiple offers that I can go with. The goal at this point is to for you to be marketable and for people to fight over you. Yes, that's real. If you're interested in breaking into a six-figure career in tech or scaling to over half a million dollars in tech, then this video is for you. If not, then just swipe away. But I was able to break into the tech industry October 2021, and in my first year, I scaled to over half a million dollars in tech. My second year, I was able to gross over a million dollars. More importantly, I was able to freely help over 600 people break into six-figure tech careers as well and scale further in the industry. 
Now, the number one question I've been getting from people is how was I able to do this? How was I able to make so much money? How was I able to also help as many people as I've been able to help? Well, aside from doing coaching calls and trying to spend a whole bunch of time helping people individually, I've decided to create the Tech Rich Program, where I literally break every single thing down that I've done and what I've been doing to show others how they can break into tech faster or scale to over half a million dollars plus within their first few years in the tech industry as well. All you gotta do, click the link in my bio, all the information's there, check out the description, message me if you have any other questions, and I'll see you on your journey scaling in tech. I think about that oftentimes, even like with a, like kind of relationship things where like some, some people are kind of like looking to find a perfect person or be found by a perfect person. And I always think, well, the best thing is really to make yourself, I mean, no one's perfect, but make yourself your best self. Sure. So that way you can naturally be in the best position to attract multiple suitors and then now you can see okay which one of these is like the best fit for me sure versus just taking whatever you get whatever sure. lands on your own absolutely your plate. and so that being said uh using that as a transition one thing we didn't talk about before when we had you on is your marriage and your relationship <laughs> hi because- baby hi terrence <laughs> i never say his name hi terrence we call him black it in the house black it because yeah, he fixes everything oh, everything because yeah. he's tech so he's been in tech for like 16 years. Okay. So anything tech related in the house, he got surround sound. He talked to me through Alexa. It's, it's a lot going on that he does. <laughs> I don't even understand how he did it. You know what's crazy? I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that he had been in tech for, for 16 mm-hmm. years and all of that. So look, right now, right now, the, the, the market is crazy right now, mm-hmm. just working wise. But also the, the market is crazy right now, relationship and dating sure. wise. It's a lot of crazy content that's out there. Mm-hmm. People saying crazy stuff, you know, everybody's my high value man, you know, uh, poly relationships, all mm-hmm. this crazy stuff. But one of the other conversations that I see that are happening a lot are people are saying, hey, ladies, you one, you shouldn't like you shouldn't get married until you are already in your career or until you're at the peak of your career or until you started the business. But you're someone that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I I don't even remember exactly how long you've been married, but you're someone that's been married. Almost five years. Almost five years. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. That was Eric. I know. (laughs) Oh, they see him the camera. You got the camera camera That was Eric. <laughs> Don't say he has the camera. I know. I still oh, you say that was Eric. Eric. You heard it from a black man that's married. I'm saying. <laughs> oh, that's real. So, so look, but you're someone where you were married before one before recruiter cousin like was truly a thing. Mm-hmm. And so when your husband has seen the 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 birth and the growth of your career, my husband's the reason why I'm a recruiter. Oh. Hmm. So tell us about that. So I was, so my story is that I went to law school. I didn't pass the bar. I took the bar three times and I didn't yeah. pass it. And I, I was signed up for the fourth time and I was like, North Carolina, I'm not giving you no more money. So I pivoted into HR. And so what I did to sustain me was I went into what we call doc review. So doc mm-hmm. review is when we're going through documents for discovery for cases or possible cases that can happen. Mm-hmm. So we're going through a whole bunch of documents all day long. So I'm on the computer clicking away. It's easy money, but at a certain point I got really, really bored. So 
my husband asked me one day and while I was a job seeker, he met me job seeking and he's the one that had a job and I didn't. So he asked me one day, he was like, babe, have you ever heard of Duke temporary service? And I was like, no, he was like, would you do it? And I was like, sure. Like, yeah. So he's the one who passed my resume to someone who passed my resume to a rec- the recruiter who called me the day before he his last day. Mm-hmm. The full circle moment was when I finally got into the same department that that recruiter was in, I was in his position. Yeah. So my husband was the one who passed my resume for me to actually meet my now mentor who taught me how to recruit yeah. her. Had my husband not done that, I wouldn't have worked for Duke when I did. That's fire. Mm-hmm. Shouts out to husband. What's up, Big T? Big T, black, 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 black IT, black IT, <laughs> black IT. Oh my gosh! If not, if not for copyright infringement, we probably probably play some uh, black, <laughs> right. black IT song. But look, so, so all the stuff swirling around right now with relationships. Want to ask you, as a married woman who also is a career woman, who also is a businesswoman, sure. What does marriage mean to you, and how do you feel that it's like benefited, or in some ways caused challenges in your career and business? I, my marriage has not cost me challenges in my business. You and I'm sure it. a lot of people can't say that. My husband is one of the most understanding men I have ever met in my life. And I I would think I'm the sweetest person that people would meet. My husband got me totally beat. Oh, yeah? So, oh, yeah. Hands down. He got me beat. Um, my So even even now, I'm coming into Atlanta from the, from, um, the Blacks and Technology Conference in yeah. Nashville. And so I rerouted my flight here and then I'm going home. And so even with, I made a last minute decision to go to the Blacks and Technology Conference. And I was like, oh, babe, I wish you could go. He was like, go. I'll be here when you get back. Yeah. So he always pushes me out yes. to to the to the public because he knows that motivational speaking at my core is what I love. Being yeah. a spoken word artist at my core is what I love. And because he already knows when he met me, I was already on stage being a spoken word artist. He understands the push behind what God has me do, yeah. which means to encourage and serve his people to be better and or and win whatever facet that is. So the day he proposed, before he proposed. One of my pastors pulled him to the side and she said, you do know that she's made for the spotlight. And so Ooh, he said, yeah, real. she said, she said, are you OK with that? And mm-hmm. he said, I will happily support her from behind the scenes if I needed to, Come because on. I want her to be able to be not just her best self, but her best authentic self. And I want her to do that with me. Ooh. And so like even even the the only reason, one of the only reasons why he actually hooked me was because in our com- in our early conversations when we were dating, he said, Shanae, I know you've been through a lot and I don't want you to settle. So if you feel like you're settling for me, keep going. Oh my gosh. Holy was I said, this wait, I was like, excuse harsh. me? And he said, he said, I I never want you to feel like you're settling in your life. Ooh. So if I'm settling, go. Dang. And he didn't say it like that. He said a lot more sweet. But he was just like, you should never feel like you're settling. And I had never man. met a man that was so secure in himself yeah. that he was willing to let someone he loved Ooh. continue to go if he felt like he would. I was settling for him. And so, like, he was... He when he said that I was like oh man so then there was a point where he showed me there's a, a movie that Robin Williams was in called What Dreams May Come it's a really old movie it's mm-hmm. in the 90s 
I hate to say that. But Dang. I hate to say it that way, but I say really Dang. old because now people think that people who were born in the 1900s, apparently, is old. So it's a really old movie to this generation. Um, but um, so he showed me this movie called What Dreams May Come. And the plot of the movie is that there was a lot of death that he had, that Robin Williams had to deal with. He also ended up dying and went to heaven and was able to be reignited with his family yeah the only way he was be, being a, was able to be reignited in a from a dream perspective with his family was his his wife ended up being in purgatory because she ended up committing suicide because she couldn't deal with the fact that she lost her family his mission was to go down to hell to bring her back up to heaven with him. Whoa. And so my husband knows that I deal in mental health, so I deal in seasonal depression. So he always pays attention and he can tell if I'm not feeling good a certain a certain day. Like he'll stop everything he's doing and he'll look at me and go, You okay? Everything okay? And so he makes sure he pays attention. Wow. So for in his vows, he told me that he would come get me from hell if I was ever in there. So what he Boom. said was, so what he so in the movie, Robin Williams went to hell to go get his wife. The the trick that is called what dreams may come. <laughs> so the trick the 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 thing behind it was the person who was his guide told him the longer you stay there, the easier it is for you to lose your mind. So mm. is if you stay there longer than a certain amount of time, you're going to lose your mind too. And so he he agreed. He went down there. He tried to convince his wife of who he was. She didn't recognize him, of course, because she was out of her mind. The longer he stayed, the more he began to lose his mind. But the balance was when he lost his, she got hers. She started getting hers. So she then had to convince him of who he was. But his sacrifice was was so um, beneficial to their marriage that the the level of his sacrifice allowed God to have them ascend together Ooh. back up to heaven. So in my husband's vows, he said, remember the movie, What Dreams May Come. Just know that if you ever feel like you're in hell, I will leave my peace to go to your hell to come back and get you for you to return to the peaceful place that I'm in. That's, That's crazy. I lost my mind. I was like, okay. Let me ask you yeah, something real it. quick. Because... Uh, uh, your your marriage isn't the only marriage where a man and a woman have deal with that dynamic. Like, what does that care look like for you when you are in that place? And how 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 does he care for you uh, in that in regard? There are times when I randomly need a hug, and whether he's in a meeting, whether he is doing his work, if he's playing his Xbox, he stops everything that he's doing to just give me a hug. And a lot of times with people who deal in mental health, a hug for us is big because it's it's like you're hugging our broken pieces back together. Ooh. So he does that but then he also he'll if he can tell that I'm either either overwhelmed with work for example, he'll literally say, "All right babe, you've done enough." In the middle of my typing, he'll go, "All right, put it down. We're going out to lunch. We, we I'm going to take you outside." Or he'll um the other thing that he'll do is he'll say, come watch a movie with me. And he knows I'm on my phone a lot because I'm branding and I'm on Instagram or LinkedIn yeah. or wherever. So there are times when even his level of disconnect, being able to disconnect, encourages me to disconnect. So his level of patience is our conversation is whatever it is in the moment. We have so much honest conversation that if you were to listen to our conversation, you'd be like, dang, y'all not offended by what y'all just said to each other? <laughs> and wow. part of that is because we started with honest conversation because I lived in Jersey and he lived in North Carolina. Yeah. So we had to communicate on a very like hard level 
not just a level of dating, but I I literally said my last the last person I was with I was engaged to. He decided he didn't want to be married. He left me five months before the altar. Oh, so mm. I said, okay, my next relationship. I can't go through that again. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to give you all of me. And however you decide to take that, I'm just going to give you all of me because that's who I am. Yeah. My husband made me feel comfortable with giving all of me to him and everybody else. So that's why mm. I'm authentically the way I am with everybody, even at work. Because if I'm authentic at home and I'm comfortable that way, I'm going to be authentic everywhere I go. Yeah. So the dynamic of the care of what that looks like comes with patience yeah. and it comes with a lot with, I also teach him to open up the way that I open up so I can help him. Black men don't talk enough. Black men deal with mental health too. Yeah. So I make sure that I I'm working on him with opening up too. So our relationship is, or our marriage rather, isn't just me opening up. So there are times when I also have to recognize if I'm in a bad space and it's continuous and it's a little bit more consistent than I would like, I say, okay, time to go back to therapy. Yeah. Because the goal the goal isn't for our marriage to always make sure Shanae is okay. Mm -hmm. The goal is to make sure I'm okay. And then if I need his support, then cool. He comes with me to therapy, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So that support is a level of patience that I hadn't gotten from anybody else. Mm -hmm. But it's a level of understanding that Whatever I am in the moment, I don't have to I don't have to be anything else. If mm -hmm. I'm mad in the moment, I can be that. If I'm sad, I can be that. If I'm joyous and I'm jolly, I can also be that. If five minutes later I don't feel like being bothered, I can also do that. So it's <laughs> him being able to adapt, but then me also making sure he understands that if there is something wrong, I have to communicate that he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. So it's on me too. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. I love that. That's good. Oh, that's so beautiful. Game. So look, it's so like before we go on, I have a rule though. Okay. I have a rule with married people. I my rule is I don't listen to any married couple who have who hasn't been married longer than me unless I we have we've had a relationship before you were married so we can bounce ideas off of each other based on our married lives now. Mm -hmm. But I have a rule because I don't believe that every single person who is married or who is a recruiter or who whatever they do, I don't believe they're always an expert. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. I, you need receipts for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Before I take your advice, I need a receipt mm -hmm. of some way. So I am, I am per the person who is keen to listen to people who have either been married at least seven to ten years longer than me, or. If you got that old, old love, that 20, 30, 40 year type of love that yeah. is that is lifelong sustained type of love, mm -hmm. then then we can have a conversation. Mm -hmm. But I don't believe in even with me, I didn't believe in giving other people marriage advice my first two, three and four years of marriage because yeah. I ain't really been in it long enough to yeah. be able to do that. So I think it's important that for people who are married, if you seek advice, it, it has to come from people who you trust. Or it has to come from people and or it has to come from people who've been doing it a lot longer than you so they can understand, they can help you understand how to do it so they're, they aren't projecting their pain or their level of trauma onto okay. you. So the same way that you're cautious to take advice or listen to advice from people that are that have not been married very long, I wonder, as a married woman, what do you, like whenever you're on social media... What do you think whenever you see people on these like, like relationship podcasts mm -hmm. where they're having all and the people are single and they're all talking about this is what a man is or men are like, oh, this is what a woman <laughs> should be. I wonder as a married woman who is 
you know, has a quality, quality husband, Mm -hmm. you know, is a career woman, is a businesswoman. What are your thoughts when you hear some of this content? So I try, the first thing I do is I try not to judge what they're saying because Mm -hmm. I don't know them as people. So I do that first. I also try not to judge what they're saying based on their experiences because their lived experiences are different than mine. Very true. So the way they were brought up is different than me. Mm -hmm. So I I make sure I had that foundation first. I am, my heart is broken when I see women of color who there are no good men out there. F Mm -hmm. F people like they're, I don't need a man like that. That's not true. Like you need, you need a partner, whether you choose a man or not, you need a partner. You need somebody to bounce ideas off of. So I do think that it's important that we also, as women have to look at the kind of men we attract. We Mm, do same thing for a man. A man has to look at the kind of women he he attracts. So I do think that part of it is if you have the consistency of not being in a successful relationship, you have to look at yourself as a common denominator, whether you are the man or the woman. And I only say that because I had to do the same thing. I would never tell anybody something that I didn't have to work on within myself. So I used to look at myself as like I didn't realize how submissive I was in a bad way Mm. until I had a husband that didn't make me feel submissive. So mm-hmm. I get to choose whether I'm going to be submissive to him, but he doesn't make me submit to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is important because I need the woman or the man needs to be able to choose if they're going to be submissive to their partner. Yeah. Because that means that we respect how you feel. We respect your decisions. We respect yeah. your opinions. We respect your emotions. If I'm making you be submissive to me, it's almost like what's the point of us being together if you can't do it on your own? Mm-hmm. So you're not choosing me every day. Yeah. So when I see these podcasts of women who um, have a hard time or men who have a hard time finding good relationships, I also when I do, I also do research. I'll go to their Instagram pages and I'll see the kind of pictures that they post. I see I see some of the things that they say Mm -hmm. or I'll even see the dynamic of try to do some research on the dynamic of how they carry themselves as men or as women. And if you are attracting that kind of person, I also have the, one of my best friends always used to, used to always say, and still does to this day, you always have to take inventory of yourself. And if you're not taking inventory of yourself, you can't always keep pointing the finger. And that's something I had to do too. It's so important to have these conversations because, you know, it's one thing to talk to people about, like, you know, getting in tech and getting these careers. But realistically, there are a lot of people that are even getting in tech. And I've been noticing a lot of a lot of women have been getting in tech and they've been like, man, Cyrus, I'm in tech now, making money, this, and that. And they're like, yo, but but the dating market is a certain way or they're dealing with certain things or even guys. They're like a lot. A lot of guys are like, I'm trying to get this tech bag. So when I get this tech bag. Then I get, I get the woman that I want. And it's like, OK, maybe that's true, maybe that's not. But it's like all these different variables but realizing, OK, look. In the midst of this, there's a brokenness that's happening today. Yeah. And I love how the way that you broke that down, it really kind of sounds still like your your recruiter mind, where <laughs> the same way you said, okay, th- this is the person said, these are the results they're getting. Just like a person will post on LinkedIn, nobody's hiring right now. Nobody mm-hmm. wants me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, instead of you being like, okay, instead of me judging this person, I don't know this person, I don't know this situation. You know, you'll look at a couple things. You're like, okay, let me, let me check out your LinkedIn. You're like, okay, doesn't like you're like really 
you know, you're not even really posting anything on here at all. I do a background okay, check. You talk, talk <laughs> to them. Okay. You're not like, you're barely applying to companies. Okay. You're not making sure your resume or things are, are optimized or specific to the company. So you're not networking. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. It's like, man, like really you should kind of look at like, like you're the, the common denominator in a situation. Mm-hmm. And so it's so interesting how like there's so many parallels in life. Yeah. So like the outcomes we have. 